sol de los arenales regaba en sangre del bravosa y huente grito que está volviendo en tu desbocado otro pehuenche Where I guess there's extreme swings. Like I mean, it, I'm sure there, there's probably they've already done studies related to like depression. But I wonder for just like productivity, right? Like are people more productive, you know, in, in, during certain times of the year, um, depending on like the the you know, environmental cues for for what what's sleep and what's not. I think I'm gonna start recording if that, that's okay with you. Oh, so you want to do podcast now? Let's start now. Okay. Um, it's it's three thirty, and uh, I know you are running short on time, um, and. Yeah, uh, feel free to be as relaxed as you were just now. By the way, I saw you like get up and you're like. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's coming from coming from radio. I like I'm trained to be like position myself in the, the microphone in a certain way. <laughs> it's more than time. Let me close the door. Just yeah, a little yeah, bit. yeah. Um, yeah, I like I like your style. You were getting all prepped up and then. I uh, yeah no I, I did I did radio for four years and so you know, be the whole ritual of you come into the room you sit yourself down you gotta. Give yourself a couple minutes to get get ready to practice. You know, make sure you're not popping your peas or you know doing anything like that for the microphone. Uh, that, that there's a whole thing around that. I guess it's kind of different for the podcast world. <laughs> yeah. So so today I'm joined by Eric Johnson. Eric, how do you usually introduce yourself? What do you? Um, associate editor at Recode. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm currently trying to figure out what exactly to call myself. Self associate editor of. Okay. Uh, because I recently switched from covering gaming and then a little bit of VR as part of that to now I'm focusing on virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, etc., etc. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe digital reality or something like that mm. it might be the new, the new name for my beat. Yeah, digital. I mean, that's a very um, a common ground, sort of like who's going to argue with digital, right? especially when it comes to the semantics of like what VR and AR is going to be evolve into and what that lingo is going to sound like or look like. We, we don't really know. So Yeah, I mean, some of that's just marketing, but there's mm -hmm. also kind of, it's, it's important for, or my take anyway, it's important for people to know what they're being sold. So if something's being described as virtual reality, they should be able to expect that it means this or not that. Mm -hmm. And the same for, for augmented reality and et cetera. You know, um, that, that's, a, that's important for, for consumers, especially the ones who haven't had a chance to try any of this stuff. Yeah. So tell me more about your ritual. What is it that you say to yourself, do to yourself right before recording a podcast or going on? Uh, well, I don't really do it for, I have my, my own podcast these days, and that's a much faster ritual where it's just getting this, getting a certain seat and just like, you know, having a glass of water. But then, uh, but back when I did, um, I, I, uh, during college, I worked at WBRU, which was a music radio station, and I was in the news department of that. That's kind of where I got like my first, uh, first real taste of like, you know, real journalism. And uh, the ritual there was um, basically we would have news breaks after some music, so you would know at a certain time to be in the studio. And so I just sort of unconsciously over time to calm my nerves and get less, you know, uh, frantic about being uh, live on the air. I would I would go in and I would sort of 
you know, get the chair exactly just so. I'd adjust the height maybe a couple times just out of, you know, maybe some sort of OCD thing. Uh, and then I would sort of practice, you know, uh, saying certain things in my script. Um, and then I would, you know, always be changing the wording of, of things I'd written at the last minute. That, was, that just became part of the, the process for, for doing, you know, a, a minute and a half news break was just that. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're still getting the same biological responses to like your your amygdala gets triggered and you're getting this you know the slight flight or fight responses because yeah. you're about to go on air and there's these anxieties for public speaking that you know well, that, especially when just getting started. I mean, now I'm very comfortable. I've done NPR several times and I kind of you know I feel great. I just go and I'm like, all right, awesome live radio. I feel good. But yeah, when I was getting started the first time I did one of those live news breaks, I was yeah total fight or flight just. You know, <laughs> what happens if I say something wrong? What happens if I say something, you know, completely off script, you know? Uh, the whole world's going to hit me, all that. Yeah, and then, and then I mean, the, the, uh, the, biggest, the biggest giveaway when, when you know you're, like, uh, looking at someone that isn't, uh, you know, uh, trained in public speaking or is just, you know, um, doesn't have much practice is, is they start picking up the pace of their the way they talk they're just yeah. they just start accelerating like uh, da, 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 like dude, you know <laughs> you don't really know morally talk that way i know you're anxious i mean i do that too if, yeah. if i'm anxious like oh uh yeah it's just one of those things like you just gotta go practice and shake it off uh, well I, I naturally talk like pretty quickly like and it's something that someone told me once that even if you talk quickly it's more about uh, having this like pauses in between thoughts so you can talk really quickly and say a lot of things in quick succession but then so long as you take a little bit of a break in the middle of a thought or at the mm. end of a thought, you know, that people can, can process whatever you were saying and then catch up, you know. Huh. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I, I don't know what the basis for that is. This is literally secondhand. It's like someone mentioned in passing. That's, right. But I like the idea and I, I, I try and when I'm conscious of it, I try and do that. Yeah, that is an actual, you know, because you, you do want to let that train of thought to sort of simmer, you know. It, it's, right. You, I feel like I listen to people like John Carmack talk and it's like, Oh, all right. Oh shit! I gotta hang on to this horse because he's gonna—he's gonna—he just keeps going. And, you yeah. know, it's—and uh, if you can hang on, like, good for you. You're—you're you're on another level. But like, well, his talk at Oculus Connect—that was the first time I ever heard him speak. Uh -huh. And I was just like, this guy is great. I don't understand eighty percent of this, but this guy is great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's 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 when you're in the presence of something like that, like an intelligence of that magnitude, it's like, holy shit! I there. So there was someone like Isaac Newton who existed. So there was people like Albert Einstein who existed because I'm looking at someone just like them yeah. going off on, you know, through, through his world. It's, it's crazy stuff. You, going back to this anxiety stuff um, and bringing it full circle to VR, like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about simulation training, you know, mm -hmm. getting people over, the, over the, their, their, um, their anxieties for public speaking um, you know, what about, what about dating anxieties? Like, how, mm. do you think VR could be applied for men who are shy or girls who are shy with, with, with the opposite sex? I wonder, like, could you, could you give people courage through VR so that they can have a better dating life? I wonder. Well, I think with public, I mean, I'm just talking at, you know, on top of my head here. I haven't really given this too much thought, but I mean, with public speaking training, like what the Stanford lab is doing, what Jeremy Bailenson's lab is doing, where they have sort of an audience that's either turning to look at you or that can be, you know, tapping the button, will look away, will be, like, uninterested in what you're saying. Those are sort of pre-programmed actions, and those can be sort of anticipated. But I think 
What's up, um, Steve? Come hey, along. Hey, Steve. <laughs> so we're about to be joined by Steve German. German. Uh, he's uh, a Maverick Ma- uh, Mac app developer and also the creator of Unreal SF Meetup and also a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. What else can I say? What's up, Steve? Hey, what's up? <laughs> you might want to come join us a little closer. Oh, okay. and my, yeah, sure. I just make sure the microphone picks up everybody's voice. And what were we talking about just well, now? Just uh, the idea of using VR to overcome shyness and yeah. dating or some other... I think the difference from that ver- versus public speaking might be that... <clears throat> If you are shy about talking to someone, you know, on a date or, or whatever, or, or in an interview or, or something like that, you're afraid of stuff that maybe can't be pre-programmed, can't be anticipated. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Like I, I think like when you're speaking in public, with the exception of some heckler getting up and shouting something at you, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of uh, that you can anticipate what might happen. You know, people will be looking away. Someone will be looking at their phone. Someone might be leaving. Someone might be looking directly at you, and that freaks you out if you're afraid of public speaking. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I was even a little shy. I tried VR chat once, and yeah. I joined a room, and I was standing there, and I was like, oh, I feel kind of uncomfortable standing here. <laughs> so I kind of moved out, moved to the corner of the room, and I was like, just listening. You know? <laughs> but then I felt like, this is so silly. Why am I so shy? And, in cyberspace <laughs> yeah yeah that is and so like uh, for example and, and so to me why I'm hinging or why I'm like just trying to pursue this idea is because I think that there's going to be this this need to provide a, a service uh, you know I think that the more connected we you know I feel like the more we have these devices that allow us to connect the more there's the possibility to disconnect and I think that you know, there's there, we have to keep in mind ways to keep incentivizing connection. Because I, I, honestly, if, like, if, if we, the VR community, or people who are paying attention to VR, if we start turning VR into, if we don't, if we allow, if we don't allow the social aspects to VR to really come out, then, then, then everybody's, everybody else's fears are going to, like, you know, really show or, or they're going to be easier to, you know, argue with. Like, oh, Fears meaning the, the VR is antisocial. Antisocial, <laughs> isolationist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in my mind, I'm, I'm always looking for ideas or ways, services, apps to provide people the ability to enhance their, their social abilities. Um, and well, have you ever had, like, a, something that you would call, like, a, a strong social experience in VR? Have you ever gone into something and... and really felt like you connected with someone in anything you know i don't know if, if, if it was a it was definitely strong in the sense that i was doing karaoke night at the on uh, it was either riff max or vr chat and i remember getting sweaty palmed uh sweaty forehead uh my face was getting uh, was blushing and and i was like this is just like steve said this is ridiculous this is cyberspace this is unreal and yet i'm having these real responses um so I'm wondering if again if we could turn this around and, and make these emotions or feelings, you know, uh, good like good feeling. I don't know. Mm. Um, well, I, I have a thought that you know if, if virtual reality is just interacting with like computer generated people, that would get boring really fast. I think the thrill of like knowing that there's a human being behind that might people might gravitate towards that. So it might actually work out naturally, where people will just gravitate toward reality, like. Something reality back to virtual virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you hear me out on this thought, because for the longest time I've been thinking about like you know what HTC Vive versus Oculus, uh, and and to me it came down to the input, which one has the easiest, the most laziest input, but also the tracking, because 
personally to me, the one that allows me to have the best telepresence will be the one that I think I'll, I'll go over the most. And Oculus having picked this camera computer vision system for, for them to have their tracking leads me to believe that in the future we might have the Skype of virtual reality um, interpreted in a way where like it's my real body with my real grandmother's body you know being captured from Nicaragua and we're in the same virtual space that like that's what camera vision would allow um, with lighthouse it's a different beast right and so I'm trying to de- I'm trying to decide like what okay so if oculus is is transportative uh, this teleportation device then maybe vive can fall into the niche of transformative more uh, you know, give you more empathy, give you uh, a wider open spaces because of the ability to track la- larger volumes through Lighthouse. I wonder. I'm not sure if I understand what you mean. See, so you, you think that by being able to walk around, that that will make people more empathetic. So my, so my, so my theory, and that's a cookie theory. Um, my <laughs> theory is that uh, some theories are cookie. They, that, that happens. The, that the bigger the virtual space, the more immersive it is who would have thought <laughs> uh, and, and so we, because Lighthouse has this ability to and I might be wrong I hope I'm right you has this ability to stack on top of each other where you can actually make the space larger and larger I think that would be really compelling like like really really compelling you yeah know? just to get lost just lose yourself inside of an Amazon warehouse size virtual reality environment <laughs> so it would be so you would go someplace and it would track you and you could sort of, sort of walk around like a, a gigantic version, way more than the 15 by 15 they have. For yeah, like, like I was telling my friends, like, imagine if we could play out the Hunger Games in VR at this Amazon warehouse. Like, well, I guess the Void is kind of doing that, right? Yeah. They've got the dedicated facility and they can kind of, they got the wireless headsets and all of that. I, yeah. I still need to try it. I haven't tried it yet. Not, neither have I. Have, are you interested at all in the virtual reality arcades? Like, oh, what? yeah, definitely. Is there, is it, what's, where is this Void place? I haven't heard of it. It's in Utah. Yeah, Salt Lake oh, okay. City, yeah. And they have, like, I think, like a dedicated facility for playing multiplayer VR games. And is it all gear VRs with wireless or how does that all work? I think it's their own hardware, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's all in-house stuff that they created. Uh, and then there's another one right now at Dave & Buster's. I just went there. Oh, how was it? The one from VRK, right? Yeah, I wrote about it on, on Recode. Yeah, okay. so it was... Um, it's only a one-player game. Okay. But it, it was really it was really well done. I was I was impressed. So it was the wireless headset, and there's two games you could play. Each of them was a couple minutes long. One of them was sort of a police trainer-style shooting gallery, and the other was a zombie shooting game. So both mm-hmm. gun games, and, and yeah, they, they were uh, really, uh, really well done. Um, so I think the, uh, the big challenge for them is going to be, can you offer a step to make people come back? Because I wasn't totally, it was far enough drive for me, and I wasn't totally sure that I would come back, you know, certainly not on my own. Maybe I would go back with, with friends, because I'd want to see, put them through it, and, you know, get, get silly pictures of them, and they, they, could, they could see me, you know. Um, that that would be, I guess, the right now the re- reason to make repeat visits there is to you know with different groups of friends or you know hmm. or one group, one group everyone except for one person has tried it and kind of you know initiation for put that person through it. I like that. I was there with the Recode video team, and so uh, after I went through and we were filming some video, then uh, our uh, we, some of my colleagues were were trying it out. They were going through it as well. And uh, one of them was was so scared by the zombie game that he he literally shrieked and, and fell to the floor. Wow, <laughs> uh, I like that. 
so that, that's, that's quite an endorsement for the technology. Right there. <laughs> what, was the, what was the headset? I mean, what, what? It, so it's, it's made by the Arcade, which is the oh, startup okay. that uh, did, is doing the Dave and Buster's okay. thing. It's, okay. it's made that they make themselves. It's a wireless headset that um, it felt uh, weight-wise about the same as like a DK1, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit lighter than that. Um, so not quite at the level of like CV1 of you know um, the really lightweight headset, okay. but you know, but but comfortable and, and wireless, so that was nice. Was yeah. it a full helmet or something? Was it really uh, odd, or was it really lightweight? Uh, the form factor is pretty much like like an Oculus, but with um, extra tracking balls coming out of it. So okay. you have like little sticks with white balls at the end of them being tracked by lighthouse style cameras. Oh, nice. Okay. And then the the gun was basically it was uh, made by Trinity VR, and it was mm. it basically looked like a super soaker, but also with a little little sticks oh, and white nice. balls okay. coming out of it. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That, uh, you know, just ha- being able to stand in a virtual space, mm-hmm. I bet you add so much more to the immersion, right? Like, I think walking so around... being able to walk away from a zombie that's about to attack you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so how does it compare, like, uh, hardware-wise in terms of screen re- resolution and latency? How does it compare to Gear VR or... Or, or DK2 or any of this other stuff? I'd say about uh, kind of comparable to Gear VR for, for quality, you know. Okay. Um, the screen wasn't quite like, you know, it, it was it was a caricatured version of reality, right? They're focused more on latency than, than on like the high-definition graphics or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the latency was very good, and especially for a wireless system, you know, the gun was tracked very well, and I was, um, I, I was in it for those few minutes that I was playing, so... Okay, let me ask you a fun question. Okay, uh, if I were if I were some investor guy, or if I were some uh, person with a lot of capital, and I wanted to invest, you know, and I asked you, Eric, what is the state of the virtual reality industry right now? What would you say? Uh, I'd still, I'd say it's still a couple years off from really knowing for sure whether it's going to be mainstream or not. I mean, in the next year, I'm, it's. Uh, Foreground thing there that there is an early adopter market that's going to rush out and buy you know CV one buy the Vive and buy the Gear VR. I don't know exactly how big that that early adopter market is. How many people are going to wait and see how it shakes out in the end? Um, so yeah, I think for for investors right now, you know, it, I guess it, I guess it's really the question is what content and what sort of platforms are people making that are then going to down the line you know be interesting and accessible to to a broader group. Mm. Um, I mean, right right now, I don't think there's yet any clear evidence that you know. Of, yes, it's definitely going to hit this number of install base or whatever. We, we, you know, no one really knows at this point, at least as far as I can, as I, as far as I can reckon. Interesting. Yeah. And what do so? What do you think? It's what is that hinging on? And for for VR to turn mainstream, what yeah. needs to happen, or what things do don't need to happen? I think it just comes down to content. It's, it okay. gets to the point where you know, I, I I always have to reckon with this as you know, writing about VR is that I've tried an unusually high number of VR demos. You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. most people who are reading my articles have tried none. Maybe they've tried a little bit of Google Cardboard. A small fraction of them have to have had a chance to try, you know, Gear VR, Oculus, Vive, Morpheus. Um, but, uh, you know, I've tried something in the neighborhood of like 80 unique demos. And um, so I think it comes down to content. It, it's basically you have, you know some of the people who are making stuff now, if they figure out something that can cross over and convince convince the folks who have not yet really sought out a VR demo, who haven't gone to, you know, who haven't asked, asked their friend with a DK2 or whatever, 
if there's some you know app that crosses over and it's like, hey, I can't do that with the tech I have now, mm-hmm. you know, but I really want to do that. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think anyone does at the moment, but you know, it's it's. I think it's figuring out um, what's something that you know that people who otherwise wouldn't seek it out for the technology's sake or for or for in my case and for just for the sake of interest in the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what will they want to do independent of any you know uh, desire to recreate Snow Crash or whatever? Yeah, so my theory and maybe what we're alluding here is what is because okay so what what will make or break VR for in large parts will be content right so right. what is what kind of content right that's because and now we got to go deeper into this rabbit hole because you know we need to figure out the types of content that will keep people coming back. To the experience, and that's hard as fuck. Like, how do you, you know, what, what do you do? And no, how do you do it ethically? Because I'm, I worry that, you know, you, VR might be so good that someone's gonna nail the next Candy Crush of VR, mm. and people are gonna start getting addicted, or they're gonna start saying, quote unquote, that they're addicted, and all of a sudden developers are gonna start getting cease and desist letters, or like some sort of like a lawsuit because holy shit, I couldn't. I haven't showered for three weeks because I've been playing your Gear VR Candy Crush game. Like, well, I'm not sure if it necessarily come come to that. I mean, there are those people who have who have died for all playing StarCraft. That's true. You know, and I don't think Blizzard has gotten sued by the families, not to my knowledge. Okay, so you don't so 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 that fear that worst case scenario is, is very unlikely to happen. That developers, because of how visceral well, VR, maybe, I think there probably will be addictive experiences in right. VR, but right. I don't know if it'll come to, if, if the 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 nightmare part of the scenario is is about really like the developer getting sued so much mm. as public perception of like mm. you know it, it going from this is antisocial to this is dangerous to your health you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's i mean there's certainly people actually you know um i i've never played starcraft and i don't think i'd be at any risk of you know going to playing it so much that i would forget to eat but it certainly doesn't help the perception of you know of video games if there's the, the you know there's people who have you know gotten so hooked on that that they they die. And of those two things, like Steve, what do you think is the worst, uh, or which one is the hardest argument to fight against? If we're if we're VR enthusiasts, um, you know, of the argument one that VR is anti is antisocial or that VR is bad for your health, like you know. Which one's which one is that is going to be the hardest to the hardest fire to put out as as time goes on? You know. Oh, is it really addictive or bad for your health? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, TV is addictive. I guess. I mean, that seemed to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, think about the days before TV, or when this thing probably came up. People had that. Oh, who wants to watch this? You know, sad black and white picture of reality. <laughs> but it just took off and it changed the whole society and everyone's okay with that, I mean. Well, you heard about this just recently, I think it was a Pew study finding that because kids love tablets so much, the parents are making them watch TV as punishment away from tablet time. Oh, like, TV, TV, better alternative. Oh, right. <laughs> that's funny. So. That's actually a bad move, though, because I think the, the language of interaction with the tablet is probably more viable than just blankly staring at a, at a screen. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine you're, you're, you're making more neural synapses, connections, because you're, you're just involving a lot more you know, movement, like, yeah, fingers and stuff. But, well, so, uh, let me ask you this. 
Do you think that um, VR is headed in the right direction at this point? You know, where whether it's ethically or whether it's uh, financially, you know, is there enough funding in VR? Is there? You know, well, that's kind of one of the weird things about. Like, I know, like a lot of people who you have on your podcast are very much they consider themselves in the VR industry. Mm-hmm. My perspective is that I I kind of see myself as, you know, on the periphery or outside of it. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, that the answers to those questions aren't exactly what what I'm, like, going for. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm I'm really interested in just sort of, you know, is this a business? Is this, you know, um, what what, what are the companies doing? What are people saying? What are they trying? Um, You know, I... uh, There's certainly some media outlets that, that are very much about, like, you know, pro entrepreneur and pro, you know, industry, right? I come at it from a different angle, more skeptical, more critical. So everything I write about, it does get filtered through sort of a lens of of skepticism, Mm -hmm. right? Of sort of journalistic skepticism. Mm -hmm. So it's not totally fair for me to be, you know, opining on that. Um, That being said, I mean, I think that there's a lot of really fascinating work that's going on right now. And it feels like the technology is moving quickly in a direction that one way or another is going to lead to some really interesting content and interesting, you know, social experiences and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say other than that. Um, mm-hmm. It's from the, the, angle, the angle that I that I come at it from, you know? Yeah, and, uh, and going back to, so I had a, a, a random, really quick brain fart, but where I was trying to go was... Um, what is it about humans that we're so compelled to watch screens? Why? Like, why do we... Why is it that we're so... They, that, that they're just so attractive to us? That we can build billions of dollar industries around that that fact? Well, everything else is a pain in the ass. I mean, you can... I love your answers. Yeah. <laughs> pain and paper sucks. You know, what else is there? I mean, That's uh, true. Mm. Legos versus like using Minecraft or something. There's no comparison. That's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Fun. Like it, it solves problems. I mean, it makes things easy. You can like uh, mm-hmm. rearrange your windows really easily without having to like lift up heavy objects or something. So what's next? What's after the screen? I mean, is it is it is it VR? Is it holographic in, in, interfaces? Uh, is it brain to brain communication? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if I would want someone to have an unfiltered tap of everything that's going on in my brain, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, neither would I. <laughs> um, I. I think VR might be like the new way to like watch TV. Like if you, it's, it's, I, I, I was thinking the analogy of like speakers versus headphones, and like I usually use headphones now because they're just more convenient and not to bother anybody, and I can have really nice sound mm-hmm. on demand. So what if you have a, a little small apartment and it's cruddy and the walls are all dingy and your apartment sucks and your TV's old and sucks? Wouldn't you rather put on a big ass... Wouldn't you rather simulate a beautiful room with a big screen TV and <laughs> sit back and relax? I mean, mm-hmm. to me that seems like the killer app. But um, Well, I guess the, the devil's advocate of that, though, is that it, even if you have, you know, a crappy apartment, that TV is instantly social. Where, where, so even if you have, you know, a couch that's falling apart and the TV's no good and whatnot, but if, if you're watching TV as an excuse to, to, you know, really just hang out with someone else as opposed to VR where everyone has to invest in having their own headset or you have to, you know, be talking, you have to set up, like, a time, you know, like, I sometimes do this if I'm, like, you know, talking with someone online, you know, it's like, okay, we have to figure out when time zones are both available to... to yeah, but do most people watch TV, like, 
by themselves anyway. I mean, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always watch TV by myself because usually, like, you want to control the station anyway, right? Because two people can barely agree anyway. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. know. I'm just, I just the top. top I, I watch top YouTube by myself, so that, that's something yeah, that's kind too, of yeah. you know, well, all the YouTubers that I follow, I kind of you know, that's I have my noise canceling headphones and it's kind right. of like I already have the headphones. When I just put the screen in my eyes and I'm done, I can lay back in bed and watch YouTube videos and yeah. or whatever. Then that seems like the killer app for me. Like just. Forget the big screen TV, but yeah, that's just that's just me off the top of my head. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I don't listen to me if you're an investor. <laughs> hey, was, so so yeah, the killer app. Let me throw another another idea at you. Yeah. you know, what, what about the idea of uh, you know user generated content? Um, VR chat. I was just chatting with them yesterday, and they're really big on this user generated platform. Um, it's bold. It's visionary. It's 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 where I would. It's I think it's. I think it's headed in the right direction. I think um, allowing people the ability to create content in VR and then share it in VR uh, I would be extremely compelling. I mean, I feel like that's what uh, that's the foundation of what Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat are all banking on, right? Mm-hmm. So, so why not transfer over to that over to VR? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I know. I think it's it's really interesting. I've I've only seen little bits and pieces of UGC and in, in VR, but mm-hmm. I sort of, um, I guess the reservation I would have there is just sort of are the tools there that are easy enough to, to mm. do stuff. So like what so I have kind of in my head a running list of like when I've had a really good VR experience, I always try and remember. You know, I, I don't have an actual ranking, but one of the best ones I've done was Tote Brush on the, on the yep. HTC Vive yep. and that was something where I cannot draw for shit I am not an artist at all but I mean talk about user generated content there something like that I'm not saying necessarily Tote Brush but something like that where people you know where they have the tools that are simple enough to start doing something and just kind of wing it you know, if, if you have if you can have a simple enough on ramp to making something, then yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's kind of the whole thing with Twitter, right? Was it started based around text messaging with, before really smartphones? You know, before everyone had smartphones running apps, Twitter was able to you know get its initial funding based on the idea of this would be based around SMS. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, as long as you have people have access to the right tools to to, to make stuff, to do stuff, and share it, then mm-hmm. definitely. Um, but that's a big if. So Steve, can you talk more about the tools? Like, how do you create, and what are, you know, what are some of the I, like the thoughts that go into creating tools that will allow the consumer to create content in VR? Uh, you know, <clears throat> oh, well, I think the tools will get better. I mean, already like Unity's got a really big marketplace where you can where you can throw stuff together fairly easily. I mean, mm-hmm. it requires some skills, obviously. Mm-hmm. But will that get better and better? I hope so. It'd be great if you could just like buy a world and then like hit a button and then you know maybe you could brand it or something I don't know like make a storefront like it'd be great if you could have like a 3D website pre-made like 3D world website and then you can just like go go in and uh, replace and rebrand it and re-theme it somehow you're talking about like a 3D template almost maybe yeah that'd be cool yeah that's 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 all the dog made too but you're talking about the the evolution of the tools if they get simpler and simpler and more like a, a bigger a thriving marketplace with uh, higher and higher level tools, pre-built packages. That might be that'll be really good. Cool. Right now, it's not quite that way, but um, 
Well, I mean, to, to tease that idea further, I mean, you have today, I guess it started about 10 years ago with Blogger, but today, like, you know, Retode okay. uses WordPress for oh, right. free tech-powered yeah, yeah, site. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. And, uh, like, there's a gigantic community of people who are making plugins for that, people who are right, making right. themes, who are doing all the design-heavy lifting that you can customize a little bit after the fact, but really, you know, professional designers who, who have put a lot of effort into these, you know, Really gorgeous looking oh, yeah, that's, websites. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, you know? is amazing. So if you if you have a big enough group that's doing stuff like that, that's that's kind of you know making stuff that then can be you know reappropriated and, and tweaked and whatnot for people. Oh yeah, totally. You know that that'd be great if that happened. Be, I, I, want, I would I would do that for sure. I'd make my own little website and be all in three D and be cool. But I'm not a yeah. The design is the hard part. Making it yeah. Predictable, making it easy to navigate, making it not too big, not too small, you know, making it feel just right. So you need someone to figure that out. It's hard for like. And also, to... is it different if you visit from an Oculus versus a Vive? Is it different if you visit a Gear VR versus a Morpheus? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's as opposed to what we have today with web browsers, more or less on every different device. You go to you know Google.com, it'll look pretty much the same, but that's a much simpler experience than like a you know a three D you know virtual thing you can walk around in or. or Oh, right, right. Yeah. And so from the consumer's perspective, you know, what do you think... So do you think there's going to be more than one tilt brush? Do you think there are going to be other... Of course. Right, there's going to be other apps? I mean, what, what, it, what else besides visual art would people want to create in music. VR? Music. I, I, I have no idea how to compose a song. I'd like to learn. That would be fun. I bet, I bet it'd be fun to do in VR the same way that as a non-artist, I immediately picked up tilt brush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Minecraft-esque sort of things where you were building little blocky worlds. Maybe. You know, I was actually thinking of just like com- conducting an orchestra, right? If yeah. you're using the Vive controllers, like, you know, you can set a certain section to start going. Like, um, yeah, the Disney should get on that, turn that into the Fantasia thing, you know? They, they, I, I, they, could, they could probably, uh, I, I'd buy that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like uh, music... Uh, mute, uh, especially if you're able to uh, merge in some procedural particle animations that like mm. can blend in with the music, and then I don't know, maybe maybe you don't even need to be a composer. Maybe you just need a virtual reality music visualizer, where like I'm just gonna throw in my SoundCloud playlist, and I'm mm-hmm. just gonna chill in this VR space, and the whole room is gonna start you know whacking yeah, out. It doesn't need you necessarily need to be creative to to appeal to the mainstream. There could be a lot of fun passive experiences, you yeah. know. I was trying Oculus uh, Cinema, the movie theater thing, on mm-hmm. Gear VR. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I was thinking, like, I could totally see a lot of people I know who would never play a video game who, who, who would do this. So, yeah. you know. What do you, what do you think about this, like, deep dream art that, uh, that, uh, that Google put out, this code, where you can look yeah. at... I mean, um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get uh, my, James Blaha, my friend James Blaha and I, we're trying to... Get a vision. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, uh, on the side, we're having fun. We're seeing if we can get a uh, 360 video with Deep Dream in it, hmm. um, you know, injected into it. <laughs> that would be fucking trippy. <laughs> and I'm trying to bring it to Burning Man, you know, the trippy bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, but but um, I, but I wonder if like Deep Dream and things like that, you know, can be blended over with VR more. Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I that's have just, no idea on that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That was just. That was a. I th- that was. I was hoping that wouldn't end with a dead end, but it kind of did. <laughs> that, it happens. Okay. That, that. I, I've had so many interview questions where I'll like have a long setup to a question, and it'd be like, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> this fucking question is gonna take us on a wild ride, and nope, that was it. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool if you had a knob that was like one hit of acid, two hits of acid, or three hits of acid, and then you could like play a video and it'd be distorted. <laughs> it'd be the right amount of distortion for dosage wise or something. Yeah. That's kind of silly, but it, it, that'd be a good use case for that because you could you could like enhance that, get even crazier as you, as you turn the knob or something. What do you think it needs? Do we? Do you think that that's something that you know? And realistically speaking, with the technology that we have, with the knowledge that we know of the brains, based especially what we saw with the Think device, the T H N Y N C thing, like and I, what, what is that? No. So, so it's I. So my uh, my understanding of it, it's that it is a transcranial direct current stimulation device. Okay, um, it's like an EEG type thing. It like uses it's... two amps of uh, of electricity uh-huh. uh, directed into your brain for like fifteen minute sessions, and you can use this iPhone app to set it uh, to make you either energetic or relaxed. Mm. Um, and the ones, see, the thing is, the ones that I've been seeing on YouTube that people are, have been building on home, at Home Depot, those people have been recording different effects. Like they've been noticing that they're able to focus better and learn faster. Mm. Um, and so that sounds awesome, Steve. I want that. I want a machine that I can like tune up my mood and I can say to myself, all right, you know, for the next three hours, it's going to be, it's going to be morphin time. I'm going to fucking focus as shit. You know, like that. What do you, you know, do we have this yet? Is that technology coming up? Or I'm sure it will happen, but I, I haven't tried anything, so I can't say that it exists yet. But and, I'm sure eventually it will happen. And then would people want that? Like, would people want that control? Oh, of, totally. Like, if you need to get some work done, just put it on, get in the zone and zap your brain and boom, that'd be awesome. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. Yeah, there's a, there's a market for all these uh, really crappy energy drinks. I'm sure there's a market for oh, yeah, you know, yeah. energy zaps or whatever. Oh, right, totally, yeah. I mean, caffeine works a little bit, I mean, but yeah, I'd rather have something something that puts you in the right mood every time rather than just being like, I feel jittery and kind of enthusiastic. That being said, I'll let you go first and let me know if it's safe. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a really a doctor. I'm not going to be zapping my brain. Yeah. I am. I'm going to... Yeah, well, you're, you're going to be I'll doing do it. it. Yeah, I'll, 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 try, I'll, I'll try a little bit and see if I feel anything. If I feel anything at all, I'll try more and more until... It, <laughs> okay. I'll be like... Until you're numb to all that. I'll ramp up the doses. Using a constant stream of electrical, you know, stimulation and everything else for the rest of the world. Holy shit. What happened to Steve? Will he turn into Magneto? He's just a trap. Metal everywhere he goes. We <laughs> <laughs> um, just imagine, you know, some like America gets it first that technology, and all of our workers are on that, and we could like we could even more even further dominate the world economies, <laughs> and because we'd be like Superman. It, I'm sure the same thing happened with caffeine. Like you know, cat, like a lot of the intellectuals were, in, were came out of coffee shops, right? So maybe the, the next level is that people come out of these these brain shops where you get your brains zapped and we'll with the new coffee shops. Well, but that, that gets back to the like whole that. social thing, though. It's a coffee shop, in addition to being a, a stimulating place, you drink something that wakes you up, you're, you're, you're inherently talking to someone. So people can, during the Enlightenment, they're, they're like debating philosophy or, you know, they're political revolutions or whatever. And that extends to this day. It's like coffee shops are like a place people talk, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you're by yourself and you're stimulating your own brain and you're not... Well, by then you get on VR chatter. I guess, yeah, that's true. I guess. <laughs> and you, you just got to combine the two there. Yeah, yeah. I, the perfect way to combine the two is, or at least combine the electric simulation is, if we, you and 
I are uh, both getting our brains electrocuted and we form a circuit by holding our hands. <laughs> We're just like... <laughs> Again, I'll let you two go first. Okay. I'll watch. Okay. I'll let you know how I go. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, man. I have superpowers. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so w- let's talk... Uh, it's, it's something that I usually never bring up. Uh, t- let's talk about wearables. I, I'm curious about what you know or what you've noticed and... Is this is this going anywhere? Do you think the wearable industry? So you mean other than like, VR headsets? Yeah, or? and VR headsets. Would you consider that a wearable? I mean, technically, you're wearing it. You are wearing it. That's true. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, like the Fitbit, it's mm-hmm. the sort of the wearable band stuff. Like, do you think that stuff is is going anywhere? And I wonder if it. Could I mean, there definitely seems to be markets for that with specific uses, like fitness. You know, that's a, and for tracking your health, tracking your heart rate. I mean, yeah. like that that makes total sense. Um, I'm still a little bit skeptical uh, slash a little bit cynical about sort of you know the the idea that oh everyone will want will need an Apple Watch to you know just do day to day stuff. Like I'm kind of. At this point in my life, I'm kind of getting a little bit of gadget fatigue. Uh, I've got enough Apple devices already, and it's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm drawing the line. I'm not going to get a watch, you know? Maybe, maybe that'll change in two weeks. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, it's... it's um, I, I think the, the thing is just, like, justifying, like, what what can this device do that you can't do with what you have already, you know? Yeah. For, for, for me, the watch, as far as I can tell... It doesn't add that much value, but for other devices, you know, there's or if you're for your specialized needs, either in enterprise or for for tracking fitness or for whatever, then yeah, it makes perfect sense. Right. You know, it, it, I feel like that question of that you just ask yourself about what can this device do that I couldn't do otherwise yeah. applies perfectly to VR. Exactly. Because I, again, if VR isn't useful, it won't be mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like or a, useful or entertaining or, or, or doing something that's right. new. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely I mean useful is where it has the biggest potential, I think. You think so? Yeah, I think productivity. I my friend Michael Blix, he talks about like you know, productivity is big for him. Like and I think that um over time we'll figure out new interfaces that will give us, you know, just you know, the ability to break speed records in terms of mm-hmm. how we you know, mess with Excel or whatever the hell we do with work. Um I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm actually thinking about setting up virtual desktop and just yeah. setting up a bunch of screens and just working here, like, uh, you know, experimenting with that. Have you experimented with virtual reality? I haven't reality? tried that stuff yet, no, because okay. all the VR headsets that I've had the chance to try, um, I mean, you can see text, but not at the level that just sort of wanting to stay in there for, for, for very... Great. So I haven't actually... Um, tried. I, I know some people have. I guess on DK two have done like virtual desktop type stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, but now I haven't tried it myself. Yeah. I mean, where do you think is the utility of virtual reality? Where Where do you think? I mean, if, based on what you've seen, where do you think is? No, I think the multiple monitors thing. I mean, just yeah. being able to have the one device and have, then have simulate multiple monitors if they can get the resolution to that point. I was just talking to uh, Phil Brosdale today, actually. Oh, cool. I, was, I was meeting him at High Fidelity, awesome. and the and he was saying, yeah, he thinks that's about six years out. When the, when the resolution inside of the headset, the, the stretched out resolution of the, having the screen that distance from your eyes, gets to the point where it's it's comparable to the to the, the pixel density at a distance from a normal monitor today. Hmm. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I, maybe, I'm sure there'll be stuff before then that people are experimenting with. But but yeah, if you can have something where it, it feels like you have you know one you're wearing one device that feels like you have 10 great screens around you mm-hmm. yeah that, that's totally I'm, I'm sure there's like a million things that people will do with that 
both in work and then also, you know, for fun and for, and for whatever, you know. Yeah. Do you see yourself coding in VR, for example? Um, of course, yeah, if the screen resolution is great. Yeah. I mean, uh, of course, I mean, that'd be great. Um, have, you, have you done tried it yet? Have you done it before? Well, I tried the virtual desktop on the DK2, and I was like, yeah, when the resolution is 10 times greater, then it would be fantastic, but I wouldn't try, you know, to look at a, a blurry, a bunch of blurry text. Mm-hmm. But getting back to wearable, wearables, I thought of something. Um, yeah. You know, Disney just now, ha- now has these little, you go to Disney World, you have to wear this little wearable band. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's kind of a turnoff. Because it's just one more thing you got to worry about, you know. It's like, what if you lose it? What if you know your kid loses his? And then you got to scramble. Would be scramble around. I don't want to be, like, I think technology should should make us have less worries rather than more things to like be concerned about. Like, well, do I have my bands on? Do I have all my stuff? You know. Devil's mm-hmm. advocate, though. I've been to Disney World, oh, yeah? and uh, when they had that, we were staying in, in a hotel where they didn't give us the bands. They gave us like little credit card things oh, instead. Right, right. Okay. But that whole system they have there, it actually did do some like cool stuff that I was like into that that I felt was answering that question. Yeah, no, I can, what I can can't see. You I, do I can see that'd be great to open your hotel room, for example. It'd be great to like purchase food and just scan your. It wasn't even that. No, it was. It was just um, for getting into. You know, they have the, the the ride system where you can skip the line. Oh yeah. Fast pass, and then right. for for dinner reservations, where it's tied to that. The, uh, I mean, a lot of it was administered through a mobile phone app, so I guess you could probably do it through through the phone just as easily. You didn't need the wearable, yeah. but that whole you know crazy system they got set up there. I mean, it, it is it is providing useful stuff that they, they didn't have before the, the make, making kind of just the whole you know yeah. <laughs> the, the, the organization of a vacation to Disney is, is slightly less of a headache than it used to be I'm just worried that you'll be like I went to Disneyland before the bands but they had like the fast pass system where you had to like scan your barcode or something right. and then but I felt like the day was kind of ruined because I was so concerned about what barcode that I scanned and which ride and what time I had to show up and I had to have these whatever tickets and stuff. And I was just like, hey, I'm pretty sure they'll <clears> take it even if it's after the hour. I think that's kind of like the. the I'm pretty sure like it like gave me stress. Like it gave me like a yeah. sense of just like um, I want mm-hmm. to relax and I feel like I'm just mm-hmm. like concerned about all this stuff. Like, would the band cause stress too? Would I have to be like, okay, everyone, <laughs> make sure that you scan your band at this at this line because we got to come back at this time and we got to run around and I don't know. I well, just, you know, the Apple Watch tells you when it's time to stand up. You've been sitting for too long, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I can't wait till we get to the point where it's like, and you should really call your mother, you know, and it's just nagging you about everything. But that's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just don't want to think. I want to think for me. Like, I don't want to think about, oh, do I remember? Like, if you. Like, what if you take your band off, you forget it, but you've already gone down the monorail and you're already, like, 30 minutes from your hotel and you're just like, dude, mm. I forgot my band. Now, now i got to go to customer service and i got to get another band. And it's like, <laughs> whereas previously, you just, you just, you relaxed and you stayed in line and it was fine. Yeah. What are they getting out of it? What, you know, by implementing that system, what are they getting out of it? Is it GPS? Huge tracking? amount of data. They're oh, getting data is. on all the rides people are going to, the restaurants they're going to, what oh, order they're going oh. to them in, what parks they're getting into. Holy shit. Because it's like, it, it, it's also your ticket for getting into, into and out of the park. It's, so they've gotten rid of paper tickets entirely. Yeah. Well, so they're, they're, they're getting, you know, on, on a huge macro level every single day. Just wow. millions of points of data about where everyone is going, which then affects, you know, where do they build new stores? Where do they, what rides do they close down? All, all of that stuff. Holy so. shit, talk about this... Uh, and all of a sudden, now the system has a means to develop uh, and grow organically because it can—it's self-aware. It's almost 
<laughs> well, I think they still have people like managing all that. I know, but, it, the, but even still, it feels like it's a machine. It's Everyone a becomes a sensor, basically. It, yeah. Yeah, every visitor to Disneyland is, is like a, a circuit. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> is, is Disneyland? Is Disneyland? So, are we looking at the future of humanity? Is, is that what Maybe, that's world governments are all going to do to us? I've never been, so this may be a totally ignorant question, but I think but, in like Singapore somewhere, there's like a, a public the public transit system. In there is like, I think it's Singapore. Maybe it's like, oh God, I, my my information is so spotty here. Someone, you know, if you if you guys know, jump in. But it's like whatever system they use for like the buses and the trains and whatever it, it, it does stuff like the like the, the Disney band like mm. it, like tracks like a lot of stuff. Um, and the, and the government, you know, uses it like you know, it's it's like uh, for information about where people are going and stuff. I mean, to a lesser degree, I feel like. Passports are, are kind of like that, like you know, they, uh, just definitely lesser degree, but but they're, but yeah, if if you don't Especially have a passport, with the RFID thing, and yeah, the, yeah. And, you know, try 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 to do anything in this life without a passport, you're you're <laughs> fucked. Like, uh, so so I think uh, so so yeah, I wonder if, if Disneyland is onto something. If there's mm. like uh, if, yeah, if there's a canary in the coal mine, like it's getting used <laughs> to the lockdown. Yeah, yeah. their whole thing though is that they control everything in those walls. Like it, it's like a very very pleasant dictatorship. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's pleasant. I'll give them that, and I'm not gonna say. It. <laughs> uh, so so it's kind of can you can extrapolate that to the real world? Is it, could could a government really you know control the manage things to that point and, re- and really know, you know. With enough robots and AI, you might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? That was another, I mean, that was an article I was reading about the other day that, that had me thinking about uh, this, uh, the eventuality of the AI economy and how that will affect mm-hmm. our economy. But also, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, there's this, you know, obviously military industrial complex machine monster that is almost perpetual, seemingly perpetual. And here's the thing like you know there there are shitty people in the world right but I can't deny that and I can't be naive but at the same time I I I also wonder what's going to happen to humans um, in because here's the thing like for the past ever since we've been around we've had human civilizations the power struggle has been between humans versus humans Hmm. um but I wonder, as time goes on, as robots with machine guns get better and better and more cost-effective than humans with machine guns, I wonder if elites, you know, people with money, people with something to lose, um, will re- start replacing humans with machine guns and have just robots with machine guns. And I wonder what that will do to the balance of power uh, for all of human society. I mean, is that... I have no satisfactory answer to that question. <laughs> okay. But did you see the video of the drone with the pistol? Oh, yeah, I saw that. No, yeah. what? It was? There's, Holy there's, shit. There's, there's a guy who, who mounted a, a pistol on a drone, and uh, the guy who did this has a previous arrest for assault. <laughs> Holy shit. So, yeah, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't a new thought. This is something I got from an article I can't remember from. Uh, Ed McGregor from Twitter. He oh. was a really cool dude. He tweets all sorts of really cool smart shit and that was one of the things he tweeted out and in the comments I remember reading like oh well you know the elites might have robots and machine guns but remember you can still have drones with pistols or something like that like, like that's uh that's crazy that, that that yeah this this technology can be a dis- distance maker but it can might it might 
be an equalizer in the right hands. Yeah, imagine if you wanted to hire a hitman, you could just buy a drone and, and program it to like yeah. you know, follow this dude somehow, like Google him or whatever, and then find him with facial recognition and then shoot him. See, you should be talking to Square Enix. That should be the next Hitman game. Oh, yeah. Hitman drone. You're, you're, just, you're just flying. Basically, you're, you're still playing as Agent 47, but it's just him standing there with a little, little uh, remote in his hand. He's watching a little screen piloting a drone. No, you, just, you just tell the person their Facebook ID, and the drone does the rest. That's not scary. You could just tell it, like, here's the Facebook ID of this person. Just fly off and find this dude. Follow his tweets. <laughs> well, that's going to be the biggest that's fear here, yeah. from like with self-driving cars, right? Because if you're going to be in a self-driving car, like I, th- I think that's where I, th- I think that's where uh, the media is going to tickle the shit out of people's amygdalas. Like, oh, someone's going to hijack your self-driving well, car. You heard about the Jeep thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like a couple days ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that exactly that brings me to mind this 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 notion that yeah, in the future people are going to be freaking the fuck out about hackers taking over their self-driving vehicle. I'm not buying a Jeep. Not, <laughs> not that I was going to originally, but, you know. I mean, but, but does the, the risk, in your mind, does the risk of having a self-driving car and getting it hacked outweigh the, the benefit? I mean, what do you, how do you, how are you balancing out that equation? Do you think it's, that mm-hmm. overall it's better than we have self-driving vehicles and take in the, the well, consequences. Well, the Jeep thing wasn't the self-driving thing. It was like a human-controlled one, but with an electronic <clears throat> system that could be hacked. So right. Like, but to answer your question, um, I don't know. Personally, this is me just spitballing again, but I kind of feel like self-driving auto tech, I'm more interested in that being applied to public transit and to like trucks, like like commercial, you know, trucking around the country, mm-hmm. um, more than me personally having a car. I, I kind of like driving to an extent, you know, um, so there's something that I maybe wouldn't want to lose, but I, I think it'd be great if there were, you know, smart buses or taxis or whatever, or, or, or you know, that could handle, handle city traffic, you know, the most efficiently possible, or you have, you know, the trucks going, you know, that are taking all, all, the, all of our consumer goods to Walmart, and, you know, have those can keep on going in the middle of the night without running the risk of a drowsy driver running someone off the road, you mm-hmm. know, like, for me, that's kind of the more interesting self-driving stuff, and in those cases then the risk of a uh, hack attack then falls to the companies that, that, that are, you know, that have specialized use cases, right? So mm-hmm. you have, you know, the bus or, or, or the truck or whatever. Then it's kind of, um, I, I don't know, I, I think I, it's, it feels different if, if it's basically, if it's not my car, right? <laughs> um, so then even, even if the risk is the same, I, I, I'd be weirdly less concerned about it. I, I don't know. I think. Do you think? Do you think self-driving cars are going to be accepted easily, or is it going to take a? Is it going to be a hard pill for, to swallow for people? I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm personally looking forward to it. I hate driving, and I just want to, I want to call a Lyft and have it as cheap as possible, or an Uber or whatever. Yeah. And if that's self-driving, and there's like there's less. Ch- also, it's, it's more safe too. Like if you take a taxi or, or a Lyft or an Uber, if that guy gets in an accident, you could die. That, yeah. That's horrible. A self-driving car. Could probably guarantee you a much a higher level of safety. Well, and plus, there's also the potential that if you have a self-driving car, if you own one yourself, it drops you off, and you tell it, "Go make me money." You can just like say, uh, yeah, like, "Now, be, now you are for the next eight hours, you are going to be a self-driving uh, Uber that'd be car." Great. That's like, actually that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Just buy a car and then like subsidize the payments with the with yeah. just <laughs> having it 
in use all the time. Yeah, just so, gonna make sure it doesn't drive you to Gavin Belson's private island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings up capitalism to mind because I feel like this sharing economy thing is it's here to say. Like, I don't know if it's going anywhere. I don't know if Airbnb's going anywhere. I don't know if Uber's going anywhere. And I, I'm wondering, I mean, and this is, uh, again, uh, probably a question you're, that you're going to have a bad answer to, but uh, how is... <laughs> I look forward to giving a bad answer. <laughs> how, are, how are our concepts of, of property and, 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 you know, what and what value is, how is that going to evolve as the sharing economy becomes so expanding, you know, and grows and grows and grows? I, I mean, how, what is... Uh, are we going to just all become, you know, uh, techno-communists? Techno <laughs> techno-communists is a great name for a band. Uh, that is my contribution to this discussion. Um, mm, that's, that's a really good question. Which is, of course, filler for, for I don't have a good answer. Yeah. Um, whenever everyone says it's a good, yeah. a good yeah. question, that means they don't have a good answer. Um... I don't know, Steve. I'll, pa- I'll pass that to you. Oh, well, let me think. You know, I, I kind of—I was hoping you would take a second. Yeah, my mind went blank. See, that's why I started. That's why I started talking first. Like, I guess okay, so, oh, what was the question? We, we're basically, you know, we, because we're seeing that. Oh, well, no, okay, yeah, the, well, I think eventually all this stuff will be like Uber will eventually be robotic cars, and the price will go down and down and down until it's like so cheap that. Um, the things will become like more. It'll be some so cheap that. It'd be good because then you'll you won't have a job and uh, everything will be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> you, you won't have a job, but so everything will be cheap. It might naturally work its way out where we don't have to like all of a sudden everyone loses their job and we're all starving to death. Maybe it'll slowly like first things are like Uber when they have humans driving, then it's a robot, mm-hmm. and then it's and then the robots get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper until everything's so cheap that it doesn't matter that you get you don't have a job. Yeah, perhaps we could figure out a universal. Cool. It naturally evolved that way. Be awesome. I don't know, it's kind of the whole thing with, with technology evolving, right? It's always, um, so whenever there's like big technological progress and like stuff that we do that takes a lot of time now, right? People say, this will save so much time. And what always happens is that then our demands for what we want to be able to do increase to match the time saved, oh, you know? Right. So, so like when, when you know, the, the, the iron for, for ironing clothes first came out, it then became, you know, like you were expected to have ironed clothes, the so clothes without wrinkles. Before that, it was right. like, well, what are you going to do? Right. When the vacuum comes out, now you're suddenly expected to have a vacuumed carpet, right. you know? That's true. Um, so it's, it may, maybe, maybe the technology will just, it'll just shift our, our priorities in, in some way. So, so let me juxtapose that question uh, against the backdrop of the idea of the American dream. I mean, how many people... This maybe this is going in crazy places. This is where we go. Uh, but maybe this is dated because it, you know the notion that w- you know we're, we're driving meaning from having a house, a picket fence, and a car. You know, and and then the sharing economy is coming in and saying, no, fuck it, you don't really need a car. You just got self-driving Uber, and you don't really need a house. You got Airbnb everywhere you go. I mean, you know. So then, what are we left with? Like, what 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 are we? What is this? What is the narrative going to evolve to? What do we tell people to like strive to? Well, that's the whole thing, right? It's like the term American dream. It's supposed to connect something timeless, but it changes all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what we today call the American dream was invented in the 1940s. Okay. You know, <laughs> so so you know, like this idea of, of having a job and settling down and owning a house. Like, like I have no interest in owning a house. That seems like a pain in the ass. Yeah, if something breaks in my house now. I call my landlord and she deals with it. You know, <laughs> um, and and then I'm also sort of locked down in one place for, you know, economically, it's a huge hassle, like, th- that, that stuff changes over time, and, mm-hmm. and so, 
Um, yeah, I guess just like this idea of, of one ideal. It's it's always one of these things that like mm. it, it, it it it'll it'll move just in in just maybe grad maybe more gradually than than the way Silicon Valley moves. Okay, so <laughs> so if I'm so if if you and I are sitting at the meeting for the Council of Foreign Relations, sitting with amongst the Illuminati, and we're figuring out <laughs> what do we sell these sheeple? What do we what do we give them to for the 21st century? How do we get them? Uh, how do we keep them? How do we keep the hamster revolving around the wheel? You know, what do we say to them? Okay, well, in the 21st century, in the 20th century, you had your house and your picket fence and your car. In the 21st century, what do we give you? We give you MDMA and Burning Man and parties. Like, what do, what are, what are we? What do you think is going to be this thing that we're we're striving to? What is this ideal? What is it changing to? I mean, I've got one, I've got one comment. Like one one thing that I see a lot is you'll see, especially in San Francisco, you see people coming in like on backpacks from Europe and mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, and you talk to those people, they're like living their life. They're like, every, every, every time they hit a spot, they meet up all these friends, they're going to all these parties, they're seeing all the new tourist sites. So maybe, they're, maybe that's the future. Like, you won't have a house, you won't have any, you'll have as minimal, minimal possessions, you'll just travel around the world, meeting new people, and uh, you'll, it'll just be like a global party. Everyone that sounds exhausting to me. Yeah. <laughs> I like having a house and going there and knowing what's going to be but, there. But you, can, but you can arrive at a really, really comfortable place and like you walk in, they just hook you with a shower and you get a bed and you're like, God, this, this is amazing. And yeah. they can take you to nice dinners and... Uh, See, I want that, but I also want a home base. Yeah. I want headquarters. I want. I want to be able to. All right, you know, I'm done traveling the world. I need to come back. But eventually, here. you might not have anything to put in that place. Like you, maybe your, your computer will fit in your pocket, and your you can borrow a you like you, you can borrow a shower anywhere. You can borrow a bed anywhere. Hmm. How do we prevent people from crowding crowding San Francisco? Like That's you, true. because if all of a sudden everybody has the totally ability to go everywhere, if you're just gonna be like. <laughs> There's going to be like two billion people in San Francisco. Like, how do we? Well, I guess we, that, well, then it would create the robots could create new cities and, and uh, solve that problem. Maybe like build islands with like crazy ass. I was joking that Gavin Belson's private island, but apparently. Yeah. But I think it might become necessary. <laughs> build into the bay or build. I mean, thinking about San Francisco itself, like, what do you think? Uh, how, how do you think the city is going to evolve into? Are we going to have to start building into the bay to? You start like expanding housing and well, the thing is, real those projects being so expensive, only people could afford them are the ones who are driving up housing prices already. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no idea. If yeah, I, if I knew how to solve San Francisco's housing crisis, I would go into public service. But yeah, I bet you climate change is easier to solve than San Francisco's housing crisis. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, honestly, all we need is genetically engineered trees that can absorb carbon dioxide a hundred times faster than regular trees. Sure. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, but but the San Francisco thing? Uh, nope. I don't know anything. Um, dude, so tell me more. Tell me more about your story. How did you end up in the Bay Area? And mm. you know, how did you end up doing journalism in the first place? What was that like? So let's see. Well, journalism goes back to high school, maybe before that. Mm-hmm. So high school newspaper. Went went to college and did news radio in college, as I was telling you. Uh, and then after four years of news radio, I was initially kind of thinking, yeah, I'm going to go find a job at NPR and I'm going to go straight into working. And my parents were like, no, seriously, you should go to grad school because then you'll be able to get paid, you know, actual, you know, <laughs> the living wage. 
Uh, it's kind of journalism is a very tough field in which to get a, get a, a good paying job, and so. Um, after me dragging my heels for a couple months, I finally applied to grad school and got into my top choice, which was the Stanford program, hmm. which is a one-year master's program with an emphasis on digital journalism, which is great. I was, like, super excited about that. You know, I didn't want to go to a program that was, like, that I was, I, one of my worries was that it would lock me down to, you know, newspaper journalism or TV journalism, which, you know, anyone could tell. Like, that's, that's a titanic heading to the iceberg if you're, if you're locking yourself into that skill set. Hmm. Stanford's program was very much about open-ended digital of like, okay, let's see what we can learn from all these other, you know, fields of journalism, synthesize it and do new stuff. And through Stanford, then I got hooked up with uh, All Things D, All Things Digital, uh, which is, you know, which was the site underneath the Wall Street Journal run by Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg. Then, uh, so I got an internship there. Uh, A few months later, they hired me. And then uh, about a year and a quarter after that, All Things D ended and the entire team moved over and became Recode. Oh. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the you know, minute and a half version of just sort of, um, I feel I got extremely lucky and it was right place, right time a lot of the times. So it's just like, hey, I got into this, this, this tough school and then I got this, this random internship kind of out of the blue. But, uh, but yeah, that was kind of the, uh, the, the path it was going from trying a little bit of journalism in college to then then um, learning more about it and, and then going professional, you know, through through grad school. So, so who did you want to be when you, so if I got on the time machine and I asked 10-year-old Eric, I, what did you want to be when you grew up? 10-year-old Eric wanted to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay. but that's a, little, a little bit harder to do than being a professional journalist. So. What do you strive for in some, as, as a journalist? I mean, what do you, what, who is your gold standard? Is it a Walter Cronkite? Is it a... Um, I mean, being, coming from radio, Edward R. Murrow is kind of, he's, he's uh, like the... Uh, have you ever seen Good Night and Good Luck? Yeah, I've yeah. seen parts of it. Yeah, that was. I saw that movie when I was in high school, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> this movie, you know. Okay. That definitely lit up some, some corners of my brain. Uh, probably indirectly led me to, to doing radio. Um, but, uh, so yeah, Edward R. Murrow is a big one. I'd, I'd say also, I'm, I'm always a big fan of, uh, of George Orwell's quote. Uh, I'm kind of butchered the quote. I mean, I know I'm getting the wording wrong, but it's... Um, uh, if, if you write something that someone doesn't want you to write, it's journalism. Everything else is public relations. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, which like is, that. Which kind of gets at the you know the the, the more common quote is uh, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. That sort of style of journalism of of not treating it as you know a public relations game, but treating it as something where there's going to be tough, controversial things, but mm-hmm. there's these thorny questions that can be addressed and answered and mm-hmm. explained and, and, and entertainingly you know. Addressed through 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 you know writing or through video or through audio or whatever medium of kind of having this this industry you know through media. Okay, time for the hard questions because speaking of thorny questions, I yeah. mean, In your perspective, how much how much of the current journalism uh, I, I don't know if I want to say industry or how much of the current media in the tech industry mm-hmm. is not as objective as they should because I mean you know I wonder well, I mean, like it's, it's, it should is, is a tricky thing right like, like right. I was saying like I come at things from a very skeptical critical but like, my whole thing with Recode as part of our our style is skeptical critical thoughtful right and my editor you know the way he described my job to me is you're either gonna you know break news or have the smartest thing to say about the news that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of the overarching mission which okay. I, I love I, I absolutely love that that mission mm-hmm. um, 
but you know, but the, there is a market, there is demand for for less critical stuff, and I and I recognize that. Like, I, I'm not trying to prescribe that there's one mode of journalism, mm. one mode of media for everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm just starting my personal preference there. Yeah. So, um, so you know, there's, there's absolutely a market for for sort of you know the more pro you know pro startup type type stuff. I mean, it's just that's just not me. <laughs> so 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 speaking from one pseudo journalist to a real journalist, would you like what? How do you balance this? Uh, you know this this. How do you balance your um, your your need to ask tough questions because it's your job, but also keeping up networks and connections with companies because hey well, that's kind of where the, we're having Rico having the brand there is, is super helpful because you can point to a website staffed by really talented writers doing real you know serious stuff it's not just you know me on a medium blog or whatever I can point to that and say like hey look we are reaching this audience we've got this collection of thoughtful you know stuff and so you can point to sort of a brand there and say like this is what recode means if you you know if you prefer to give the story to TechCrunch cool whatever you know they, they'll probably give you a nicer write up <laughs> uh, or, or something but not not to not, like I said I'm not trying to demean but um, you know and so uh, that's kind of the whole thing so people are, are free to you know uh, talk or not talk yeah but, but if they can look at recode and see like hey I like the way they, they talk about this stuff, the way they think about these issues, the thoughtfulness they apply to this, then that kind of, you know, then they're, then they're, then they're willing to accept the fact that I may not always have nice things to say. <laughs> you know? So let's talk about drama. Let's talk about gossip. Are you aware of a, of a journalist getting blacklisted or getting kicked out of an event because... Yeah, blacklist is too strong a word, but I, I've, I've had I've had some some feuds with Sony Morpheus PR. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wrote Spill about, the beans. This is, this is all public. I've, I've written about this before. And now, okay. uh, so I, I love. So first, off, I should say that I love the Magic Lab team. Those guys are great. I say hi to them at all the conferences and stuff. But uh, at GDC this year, uh, I was shut out of a Morpheus event where they were announcing like the release window and the new specs for Morpheus. And as best as I can determine, I don't know for sure, but as best as I can determine, it's because about a month or two before that, I had written this, like, this post just, like, making fun of Sony for their smart eyeglass product. <laughs> Did you see this concept video? Was so yeah, stupid, was like, that was goofy, yeah. Where, where this totally goofy video for, for a developer kit where it's like, if you want to make a developer kit, great, I understand that the technology's not there yet, but this video was awful. It was it was shooting fish in a barrel with, with, with a minigun, like, you know. <laughs> and and so we, just wrote, we wrote this, like, this was, like, late in the day on, like, a Wednesday. We needed something for the next day. And I was like, hey, I'll write something funny about this. Mm-hmm. And just and pe- people, like, there was some good positive buzz. A lot of people were like, oh, man, that's funny. You really tore them a new one. Right. But then what happened was that then after they shut me out of this event at GDC, then in my post about the Morpheus, like kind of following the news from afar, in my post about the Morpheus, I mentioned at the bottom of it, like, you know, Rico was not allowed in this event, probably because of this story, you know, at press time, uh, they, you know, those glasses still look fucking awful at that <laughs> But at, at press time, they still look ridiculous. And as a result of that, the story got three times as much traffic on the second mention uh, as the first. It got way more attention yeah. after they shut me out versus what, what, it, what it had gotten on its first run through. Yeah, it always backfires. You know, so never screwed the journalist. Then. Well, yeah, you <laughs> don't, don't, uh, what, what's the expression? It's, um, 
don't pick fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. Yeah, I think that's yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we don't buy, buy ink anymore, but you know. Um, but it's the sort of thing we're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to give Sony that hard of a time. We were just pointing out something stupid. But you know, if, if, since they shut me out, I decided. Well, that's that's all the more reason for me to to share this link again. You know, like, <laughs> right. all you were doing is incentivizing me to to you know right. <laughs> make make PRs like a little bit harder. That so. video was so bad. I actually felt bad for the models. I, I was like, because I was like, there is no, there's you can, there's no one on this planet who can pull that off, who can pull that stupid thing. Yeah, your, it's like what <laughs> what are you guys thinking? Uh, so was your relationship with Sony right now? Are you guys chill? Are you okay? They, they've stopped pitching me on stuff since that post. So okay. It's kind of like, it's, it's whatever, you know. I'm going to be writing about Morpheus and treating it like an important thing, whether they want to talk to me or not. And they're free to not talk to me. And that's totally within their right. If they, if they don't want to pitch me on stuff, and that's cool. That's, that's you know, that comes, comes with the territory. Um, but, you know, I still think Morpheus is, is interesting. I, I think it's going, I, I wrote in a, a recent story that I think it has a very good chance of reaching the mainstream before any of the other VR devices mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so... That 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 much of it is is unchanged, and if, if they want to they want to chat, I'm always happy to. Listen, I like your style. You're a maverick. <laughs> change. Uh, but going back, so so talking about Morpheus and the just the headsets coming out. Uh, do you have what are your expectations for you know sales, for example? Do you think that gear where where is gear? If you had to uh, a list, give me a list. Yeah. Number and one, number two, number three, number four. Oh um, God. You know, no matter what I say, this will be wrong. (laughs) So, however, um, let's see. Well, obviously, Google Cardboard, just by unit volume, is going to be the highest because they've already shipped what 1.1 million. 1.6, I think. 1.6. I mean, I mean, a lot of that is obviously giving out free units or giving them to marketers. I think Verizon just bought like a hundred thousand of them for Mm -hmm. for the it can wait campaign or or whatever. Well, whatever the cell phone makers is doing, it can wait. Just bought a huge number of them uh, for that, so that number is is not directly direct consumer sales. But anyway, um, if you're going by consumer sales, yeah, I think Morpheus probably has the best chance of reaching people soon. Yeah, because you already have the install base for PlayStation, and so you know it has the relationship with the game, the big name game developers. People already know they have their own first party content. They have a lot of the things in, in the right place, and they have a distribution network with PSN, hmm. um, all of that. Um, I think probably well, the, the number two is I think either going to be the Rift or, or Gear VR, and it might be Gear VR actually because just think about the install base of mobile versus who has a high-powered PC, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot more people are going to have an S6 or a Note 4 or whatever the next Samsung phones are mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, will, who are going to be willing to shell out, you know, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, whatever, for, mm-hmm. for, for a really good, good PC. And then, yeah, I think I think in the short term, Vive is probably going to come in last, even though it has, I think, a very compelling experience, just because who has that much space in their house, mm-hmm. you know? Like, in order to really get your money's worth out of the Vive, you, you need to have, like, a basement or a room set up for VR, and that that's that's on, that's quite a cost on top of what you're paying for whatever they're going to charge, you know? So I can see that as being more of an out-of-home thing and not really, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure... Maybe there'll be great stuff that people make for it that's, you know, just setting down that they haven't shown off yet. But just based on what I've seen so far for the Vive, it feels like the real value, the, the, the value add of that device is 
stuff that doesn't really make sense in the consumer level just yet. Mm. So now, do you know? Like, I wonder what the usage numbers are like on the Gear VR. Like, I had one and I tried it a few times, and I don't use it regularly. I mean, do you think people buy and they try it once and they, they never use it again, or do you think people actually are picking it up once or twice? Well, that's the thing. Is like my perspective on this is so weird because I had a, or I have an overdue to return. Samsung loaned me a Gear VR in an S6 so I could try out some stuff, and uh, and I found myself kind of going through phases where so I would try something and I'd try something else in quick succession, and other times would be days where I wouldn't use it at all. Um, well, and there's one thing with the Gear VR though. It's it is cool that you can get your phone in there, but that means you're always having to like shuffle your phone in and out of this thing. And to me, that's kind of like one step that I don't want to take. Right. I'd rather just pull it on and boom, it's just going. Yeah. But I know that's expensive because then you get to basically... Well, that's the thing. Like, phones, it, it, I'm probably going to wind up buying one for myself and I'll get an off-contract Samsung phone that I won't use as a phone. I'll just It will just be a, a device that happens to be sitting inside the Gear VR at all times. Yeah, <laughs> you almost need to do that because I just think that extra step of just shuffling your phone around and yeah. having to make sure your that's apps awesome. are updated and all this stuff is... That's a good point. I wasn't doing that with the loading yeah, yeah. SME. I was just keeping it in right, there at all right, times. Right. I was treating it as if it was an integrated device except for when it annoyingly was talking me like oh you have to you know update you have to for some reason pop the phone out of the thing to update some software. I know I did that like, too. I was like I, yeah I didn't I want to update like, software for this. Just let me do the thing. <laughs> no I had the same exact. That's actually the last time I picked it up. That happened to me. I'm like screw this thing. I'm yep. put it down. I'm not going to use it because I was like I'm not going to sit here and wait for it to update. It was like it was just like. Well I mean things. There's all sorts of stuff like that that I'm sure that they won't get right initially. But yeah then, yeah, yeah. Over time. I mean over once time, this stuff sure. is actually being marketed to consumers and, and more than just the enthusiast sector that'll buy an innovator edition. Yeah. You know like. They, they will, I'm sure, get very fast feedback from, from people who, who, are, who are saying, this is stupid, this is stupid, this is good. <laughs> this is be as little steps as possible. I and mean, if you add one step, that can be the killer. I mean, I think mm. one extra step is the... I mean, and, and if I could throw a piggyback off of that, like what that extra step could be is I'm thinking that Gear VR, from what I've seen, none of the experiences have any multiplayer elements in them. And I think that Otherworld has some multiplayer gear. Also, so 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 they're on the right track. I think having multiplayer and gear VR, I think will be a killer, one of the killer features for anybody who wants to make an app. Because I think wireless uh, multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I because VR is is meant to be social. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's mobile, whether it's desktop VR, you're, it's meant to be social. I think. Um, you know, just got to figure out how to get Farmville Gear VR or some mm-hmm. some other. Gear. I mean, everything good. Everything my kid plays, for example, Minecraft and uh, Nintendo DS. He's got all his social features. His friends around there every single day, so he just rushes to it when he gets home and just like mm-hmm. he's got friends in Japan, friends in America. He's like, really? playing his games like late until late at night, late at night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I guess I'm just probably super weird because like when I play Minecraft, I do it as a, as a isolation, right, like, right. Uh, a meditative thing. Minecraft is wow. the game that I play to, like, calm down, kind of just meditate. It's like, I'm going to build a house. This is right. nice. Go, go boating down this river. Oh, shit, creeper. But, yeah. <laughs> um, my kid has Skype running in the background, and then he has Minecraft. He's doing voice chat with Skype. Yeah, and he's, 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 he's voice. They're just talking. Wow. It's different, different generation. It's so yeah. great. He's just, like, he, he has a big smile on his face. He's, like, talking to all these people, and he's just, like, on Minecraft. It's just, it's yeah. It's a great to see that. I think it's, like, the the language of the future. It's like the way to interact with computers. I'm so happy to get into it because I think that's the future. Like, yeah. yeah. Totally plugged in and just be like, the headphones on, the mic, you know, everything. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how to split generationally. Like like VR and other other stuff, other new technology is like, stuff like that 
it has never occurred to me that I might play Minecraft with Skype running, you know, with, with someone. Like, I mean, that's very particular to me, but, you know, um, I, I wonder what things like that will emerge just naturally over, you know, how different generations use new technology, you know? You know, from a gaming perspective, I feel like, uh, you know, being a gamer that grew up, in, you know, with Nintendo 64, Nintendo GameCube, PlayStation 2, you know, up to the PS3 era, like, a lot of the experiences, the gaming experiences that were provided to me were, like, on rails, like, you know, this is what you get, yeah. you know, um, but I not, but what I'm now noticing is that the younger generation has more open world, mm -hmm. open sandbox experiences, they have the ability to, again, share and create things, and I think that if we're, if we create, or if we you know, keep that sort of mentality or those ideas in the back of our minds when we're creating VR, we might be hitting on, on a nerve, you know, to, to appeal to the younger generation, I think. Interesting. Um, you know, because you know, it's like, what, is the what are the most popular apps out there right now? We'll put Minecraft, $2 billion for Microsoft. Um, you know, Gary's Mod. Um, I downloaded Gary's Mod and I played with it, like, for about 45 minutes. And I was just like... This is this is total crazy stuff. Hey, I didn't it get makes it. No sense to yeah. me, but there's millions of people who love it, so I must be missing something. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I think that's it. That that is that is where I saw my generational line stare me right in the <laughs> face because I was like, my thirteen year thirteen year old cousin is loving this Gary's Mod thing, but yeah. I'm like, dude, I don't get it. <laughs> See, I, I'm I'm at that point where I'm just like watching YouTube videos of people playing Gary's Mod games. Oh no, okay. But they, like, there's a uh, you, you know like the Rooster Teeth guy. Yes, like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so they they. Do, uh, they do some of the Gary's My Games have done mm -hmm. Stop at Slender and Prop Hunt and those are some of their best videos they're hilarious to watch because Gary's Mod is so anarchic and is so open to so many creative things and I'm just like I'm happy to just watch them playing the game there like just doing it just is, 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 a, is a bit too much for, for sort of uh, my, my level of interest in playing those games mm. but, but yeah those videos are amazing if you haven't seen them what an interesting phenomenon that we've developed because of the internet we're, we're watching other people play video games mm -hmm. like what do you think of that phenomenon Steve is that weird is that like just how the way it is oh uh, well um, well I, I'm, I'm always busy I try not to play video games or watch people play video games I usually try <laughs> to like learn to create content or learn how to program so I'm the wrong person to ask. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm reminded of the, the Simpsons quote is like, you know, juggling a pregnant wife and young child was tough, but I somehow managed to squeeze in eight hours of TV a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Homer, Homer targets in one of the episodes. Yeah, I, I don't even watch Netflix or even TV. Like, I'm kind of a... I try to... I mean, I, I just... I surf the web a lot. I already wasted a bunch of time on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody has their medium of consumption, I guess. So I had to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're going to go insane. Don't end up like me, Steve. Uh, Eric Johnson, you have been a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. How can people stay in touch? I, I, things have co are coming to a close now. I'm looking yeah. at the clock. Um, but, uh, yeah, how can people stay in touch and be, uh, follow Big what you're doing? The thing is Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ, okay. uh, which is my, 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 uh, my little historically referential uh, Twitter name. And I actually use that a lot for people who want to send me, like, you know, anonymous tips, quote-unquote anonymous tips. That's actually a, a good way to get in touch with me because I let anyone DM me on Twitter. Um, or you can also email me um, at eric, E-R-I-C, at recode, R-E-C-O-D-E dot net. 
And last place is obviously just reading uh, stuff, that, stuff that I'm working on. So you can find that at recode.net. Awesome. And uh, Steve, that your Kolka Tech and Unreal SF meetup, uh, are you interested in people getting in touch with you or at all? What's up? Oh, sure. I mean, if you want to email me, I'm Steve at Distant Future. It's, and it's .re, so I don't put a .com in the event .re. Distant Future yeah, .re. Yeah, that's, kind of <laughs> yeah. that's my current email address. So yeah, I thought .net was hard to share with people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I decided to be a hipster, weird hipster. <laughs> well, it works, and don't worry, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, again, thank you again for your time, and uh, I'll see you in the metaverse. This was fun. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> see you there.